Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Vodacy Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and we have a really fun episode today. We've got a couple guests, and we're going to talk all about 1031 exchanges. I know some of you investors that are that are trading up or upgrading your portfolio, moving into different properties. Sometimes you're in the middle of a 1031 exchange, and sometimes they have you have some questions about it. So we've got Luann Blau and Jeff Chisholm. Luann's from um, is a 1031 exchange expert from Exchange Resource Group. And thank you, Luann, for coming on and joining us. And then we've got Jeff Chisholm with North Point Bank because we probably should have had the trifecta, you guys, and had a CPA on. So we've got the the uh, 1031 Exchange Intermediary. We've got our finance partner with uh, Jeff Chisholm inside our Odyssey Group with and from North Point Bank, and we're going to talk about 1031. So, guys, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks you're, for having yeah. us. For me. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, Jeff. You're uh, you're a three time guest on my podcast. Nobody's been on with me three times. So, rock on, brother. And, and wow. man, we're super excited to chat with you. And so we're going to dive in and we're just going to, we just typically have a conversation. I like to ask some questions and we'll just take it from there. And I think it's great for us to start to talk about some of those, maybe some common misconceptions with 1031 exchanges, some things that we should be thinking about with a 1031 exchange. A lot of people have heard of a 1031 exchange, but why don't you, can you kind of maybe just give us an explanation of what a 1031 exchange really is and, and why we use them? Okay. So it's 1031 exchange has been around for 101 years. Started with a bunch of ranchers around the campfire swapping properties. And then of course the government had to get involved and it's a way for investors who have owned property longer than a year and a day, approximately. There's, that's a little bit based on intent when you buy something, instead of paying the long, uh, long-term long capital gains tax and depreciation recapture hit that you will pay when you sell an investment property, you're allowed to take that money instead of paying it to the government and reinvest it in other properties. So it's a great tool to increase, diversify your portfolio and also to estate plan which we can go in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, actually, I'd love to dive into the estate planning uh, portion of it. We don't talk about that as much because a lot of times it's a way for us to defer that capital gains and continue to put it into um, additional properties. Now, are there any qualifications? I know we've heard of things like a, with like properties, if I've got a, can I just buy any sort of investment property or how close, what does a like property, um, what does that mean? When it's it a lot to... broader than you would think. Okay. It's anything defined as real estate okay. can be exchanged for anything defined as real estate wow. in any state in the country and Guam and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Wow. So US Virgin in, Islands, because there was a senator that had a bunch of property down there that got the rules changed in the 70s. So, yeah, you could buy a warehouse, you could buy a car wash, you could sell a car wash and buy rental homes. What about does it have to be there. income producing property? What if I have some raw land that land I want counts. to sell? And, and, land. and 
into into like a short-term rental for example where yeah. okay interesting yeah that is that's something new i actually has what always understood that if it was not income producing it's difficult to roll it into an income producing property and vice versa no it's anything that's been held for business trade or investment so it's bare land why else why would you buy dirt if it wasn't yeah. for an investment you know, yeah. for it to appreciate in value. So land, Texas, oil and gas mineral rights are right. real estate. Right. In Colorado, where we're based, I'm in Dallas. The company's in Denver and water rights are real estate in Colorado. Yes. And then in Utah, gold mineral rights are mm -hmm. real estate. So it yeah. kind of depends on the state. Interesting. Yeah, I, that is uh, that I knew that water rights actually because we I, we actually have a member who sold a bunch of water rights. I learned that through him that they, he 1031 exchanged into um, into the short term rental game. And I was actually surprised he was able to do it. But that makes sense based on what you're saying now, real estate to real estate. So pretty broad spectrum of what you're investing into. Now, what um, one of the one of the things that we get asked a lot, I'm sure you do, is okay, I've got, I've got, let's say I buy a property for $500,000. I sell it for $800,000. I've got that $300,000 gain. Do I have to invest the whole, the whole sales price? Can I do a portion of it? Like what, what are my rules as far as what I'm rolling into a 1031? So the, the way they do the reinvestment goal is it's the amount of any note payoff plus the amount of net proceeds that will go to the exchange. So net of real estate commissions, title fees, any any fees that come off the top. So if you're selling for 800 and you have 50,000 of fees, your reinvestment goal is gonna be 750. Okay. And that makes people mad <laughs> because they wanna get their original down payment out, which they can't. And with the no payoff, then then they've got to replace, you know, the debt that was there with the note, either by another note or by bringing in extra cash. So in that, in that, let's say on that scenario, so I buy, I bought for 500, I had a $300,000 gain. I sold it. I have $50,000 in fees. I have to reinvest to set that 750 into the next property. Property or properties. And if properties. you don't quite make it, it doesn't blow up the whole thing. Right. It's not an all or nothing. You just have to pay tax on the, what you don't spend. Yeah. So, so you talk about that. So, it, so if I decide, okay, I, I don't want to reinvest or I couldn't find a property that would require me to reinvest the entire amount, I am able to take whatever, you know, whatever that, that difference is and just pay the capital gains on that amount. It's called boot. Okay. But you want to spend all the cash and you want to try to get as close to the reinvestment goal as possible. Because even if you met your reinvestment goal of 750 and there was extra cash that you didn't spend, you're still going to get taxed on that cash. Right. The minute you touch the cash, you get taxed on it, right? That was my understanding. And, and that's right from the sale. Even if you have an intention, that's why we get intermediaries like you involved in these types of transactions, correct? Yeah, it's also one of the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew, uh, yeah, I knew, I knew we had to do it. But, For so a necessary talk, evil. <laughs> talk, talk about that, like, um, like if I'm if I'm thinking about a 1031 exchange, say, okay, and, and really a 1031 exchange needs to be planned out, and that's kind of what I'm trying to walk through the process. Is this is not something that you sell a property and then decide you're going to do a 1031 exchange. You want to plan this out well in advance of selling the property. You have to set it up before closing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a number one most important thing because 
if you don't, once that money hits your account and then you call me, there's nothing that we can do. Yeah. So, yeah, I usually get involved with people. It depends on how the referral comes, but talk them through it, go through the rules. And then when they get a contract on the sale, that's when we step in logistically yeah. and we get it set up through title. We get their exchange bank account set up. The closing happens, the two timelines happen, and then we work on the other end and get the money wired to title company to get the other, to get the property purchased. Okay. So as we, let, let's rewind to the rules. Like if I called you today and said, hey, Luann, I'm thinking about doing a 1031. I've got this property. I've got some gain on it. Um, we'll we'll keep our same scenario. I bought it for 500. I think I'm going to sell around eight. What are my next steps? Your next step would be to get a contract and then reach back out. And then I would get your information, titles, information, the contract. We work with three different financial institutions. So we would set up an exchange bank account just for your exchange and then send wording to the title company to document it. And then closing would happen. And that starts the two timelines. Do you want me to hit those Absolutely. Now? Yep. They're super okay. important. Yep. So the, yeah, the, the one, one that drives everybody crazy is that you have 45 calendar days from the date you close on the sale to identify what you want to yeah. buy. So you, you can look at 200 properties between closing and day 45, but once, once midnight on day 45 hits, you are locked in to yeah. one of those, one or more of those properties. And you can identify up to three with no cap on the value. If you go over three, then there's a rule that they put in there called the 200% rule. And we have to multiply the sales price times two. And then the total sum purchase price of all the properties you identify can't be greater than two times the sales price, which is a lot of information, which I'll go over when people have questions on that. Sure. But, but as we're thinking about getting into this, so really there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of planning prior to us putting the house for sale that we need to do with you um, to, to get everything lined up. Correct. No, you probably want to have a chat with your CPA yeah. to find out what the gain is and what the tax it would be if you didn't do an exchange mm -hmm. so that, you know, I mean, I walk them through a rough formula Mm -hmm. But it's always, always send them back to the CPA to confirm the numbers. Yeah. And so, and, and I always say, even in these markets, one of the, the you know, inventory has been so low for so long. And even, even now with rates skyrocketing and everything else, we still have really historically low in, uh, um, inventory. Inventory is still, we've been behind the eight ball for 14 years. I actually did a podcast on this last week going through these numbers. And so that, that 45 days can be a real, I mean, it, it can get you where you don't identify a property that you may, that you may be buying within that 45 days. So it's really good to talk to the CPA to really understand what your scenario is both ways, whether you do the 1031 or whether you don't and what that looks like. Right. Um, right. And you can be under contract on your buy before the 45 days starts. So I have a lot of people because the market's like it is that will start looking once they get the contract on their sale. Yeah. So we'll, we'll work both sides at the same time, get the sale set up, get that closed and then turn around and buy purchase, buy 
five, mm -hmm. six, seven days later, we have to allow for, you know, unintentional delays on both sides. But a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, that's what we've been um, helping people and talking to them about as well is kind of strategically finding the property first before you sell. Because a lot of times right now, it's easier to sell them than find the right one to buy. And, and exactly. so we've, we've actually kind of reversed that process a little bit. And so, um, well, that's, so as we go through, we're, so we're, well, let's say we'll keep our, our scenario going. And we talked about the, the, you, you mentioned two dates. I think we talked about the 45 days. The other one, did you mention the, the 180 days to close? Nope, but yeah. I will. Yeah. It's <laughs> both of them start on the date on the settlement statement, which is another clarification, Jeff, I think you wanted to ask about the 180 so you have 45 and then you in essence have 135 more. So the 180 is when you have to have it closed. And though that is usually never a problem unless you're trying to do new builds, which yeah. I really discourage in this climate that we live in because I had several exchanges fail last year because they just couldn't get them done. Right. Are there exceptions on a new build? No, you still have to. No. I mean, you could take, theor theoretically, you could take title before it's completely finished. And I have had some people do that where it's like 90, 95% finished and they're coming into their 180 days. And so the builder, they'll go ahead and close and then make provisions, you know, in the closing to get the rest of the work done. But I wouldn't want to go a lot sooner than that. How do you make sure that everything's going to get done? Right. I was, I would, and maybe it's expired, but was there an extension through COVID or the last couple of years where they did have, uh, they did have an extension. If you were doing a new construction, there was an exception. Maybe that's gone now, but wasn't there something? It was like an that? exception for everything. So it has okay. to be a federally declared disaster. Okay. When we had the hurricanes in Houston four or five years ago, we had um, extension then. We had an extension for COVID and it's, it's regional. Okay. Like if New Orleans had another hurricane come through, then there'd be an extension in New Orleans because there yeah. was, because it was a federally declared disaster area. Okay. Awesome. Jeff, you jump in too. If you've got questions, we'll, uh, we're, we're, I'm just kind of rapid firing here with Luann. And so, uh, um, and, and anytime we want to stop and like really dive into a concept that we feel like is, is, uh, you know, something that is a common misconception or a common mistake that people are making, let's do so. Cause I'm just kind of running through this scenario, this fake scenario to, to where people can kind of understand why and, and where, where people start to trip up. And, and yeah. I think that at least on our side, I feel like that the biggest, um, the biggest panic attack that people have when they call us is I need to find a property. Hey, you guys are experts in the vacation row game. Just, just show me a property. We won't do it. Other people may do it. We don't do that. Um, where we want people to make sure that they're, they're getting into the game. But I think that that 45 days to identify a property is, is really where it's the big terrifying. stress comes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's totally terrifying. So you ask about planning, probably a good thing for them to plan the area they want to buy yes. in, you yeah. know, geographically before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that I would jump in and add, and it, you know, it goes for my space, it goes for Sean's space, and definitely your space, Luann, is education. So, you know, the, the best way to be prepared for scenarios is educate yourself as much as possible. And there are so many rules and nuances of a 1031 exchange. I would have to think 
that you definitely want to have a conversation with an intermediary as soon as possible if you think you're going down this route so you can educate yourself on the ins and outs so you're not surprised that you can be better prepared for the the planning and the timing and uh what what everything is going to look like yeah 100 i do that's what i do all day is talk that's why i have no voice (laughs) (laughs) yeah people 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 ask me all the time when should i get pre-approved well, if you think you're going to do something within the next six months, don't be in a situation where you find this great property uh, and you want to make an offer and you haven't even talked to a lender. So same with Good the point. 1031, I would have to uh, I would have to imagine is, you know, don't wait to the point where you stuck a sign in the yard and now you want to have a conversation about how a 1031 looks. Right. Right. And, and a lot of people, I think, sometimes are intimidated by 1031. It's not something that many people go through um, on a regular basis or deal with on a regular basis. So sometimes they get a little intimidated, but can be a really, really great tool for, for to, you know, to defer those taxes and be able to roll that money right into another property. It gives you that ability now to make more, you know, con- continue to capitalize on that investment you made in the very first, you know, for the, with that first property. A phenomenal tool. Do you want to you want to talk a little bit about? I'd love to hear um, you you alluded to using 1031s for estate planning as well, and uh, would we'll, we'll right. love to hear more about that. So if Dan, my boss, was here, he would say you defer, 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 and die. Right. And when you die, the your heirs will inherit the real estate at the value it is on the day they inherit it. So if you had started 1031 exchanging 20 years ago had a $100,000 basis that moved forward, that went up, that moved forward. When you die, that $6 million portfolio is not gonna have that original basis. It's gonna, the new basis is gonna be 6 million. Mm -hmm. So basically it goes away forever. And then your kids can just- so yeah, so okay, yeah. So so the basis you're saying is, so that that in, is like a $5,900,000 gain. And now the basis is reset at six. And so exactly. their basis, wow, that's, that's. Uh, yeah. yeah that's and then it, so the way it works with the basis is you take the original hundred thousand, say you only had to buy 200,000 to defer the tax, but you bought 300,000. So they add that extra hundred thousand to the original hundred thousand. So it keeps moving up mm-hmm. if you buy more than you need to. But yeah, when you die, it's, I mean, it's, it's gone. Your kids could sell the property the day that you die or soon after, and they would have no gain or their gain would start reset the basis at 6 million and just go up from there. Wow. Yeah. Huge tax planning tool. The huge tax planning tool. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not a, I'm definitely not a, a, a CPA or an expert in, on estate taxes, but is there any sort of estate taxes on that, on that, um, before it passes. I'm going, I'm going to punt. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. You're, 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 yeah, I, I was punting by asking the question. And so <laughs> it's, I'm going to punt because we're not supposed to give any CPA advice. That's not no. part of our, part of our job. And sure. I don't want to get in trouble. And, um, and it's probably different based on people's different scenarios and everything else, which is why we shouldn't be. Um, I was, I was curious if there was like an across the board that you were aware of. Nope. No. No. Okay. Good. No. 
Awesome. Um, but yeah, we, like I said we should have had the, we should have had Mike Pine on our CPA. We could have had uh, the all the way around conversation. So we'll have to we'll have to. I would probably him. love to pick his brain on some of this stuff, but I also don't want to know too much. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just let them handle it. Right. Yeah. So um, one of the re, before we hit play, we were talking a little bit, Jeff, about we were talking about the different loans, and I asked you, and, and I was saying, hey, does it matter? If I'm if I am going to do a 1031 exchange, and I'm going to be rolling over, and I'm going to get financing on the my next purchase, the, the per property I'm purchasing, if I'm in the middle of a 1031 because it's an investment property into another piece of real estate investment property, does that do I does that disqualify me from certain types of loans like a second home loan, vacation home loan? And and, and uh, we were talking a little bit about that. Can you uh, can you share with me what we were talking about? Yeah, so 1031 monies from a 1031 exchange are acceptable sources of funds for that 10% down payment closing costs. Um, so yeah, we on a regular basis are uh, talking to those landlords uh, that now want to uh, own something a little more fun and they're using that second home occupancy loan to uh, parlay that 1031 exchange money into these types of properties. Yeah. Which is awesome. I, um, you know, I've actually heard other people talk about that and say that you can't do that. And so it's, it's good to get that clarification directly from you as, as a loan officer that deals with this all day, every day, because I've actually heard other people say, Nope, you can't do that. You can't use those types of loans. You have to get an investment product loan. Um, and, uh, but with, the second home occupancy loans were Fannie Freddie. They they inc actually encourage us to be able to short-term rent them out if we're not there because they know that it helps pay the payments, right? We've talked about that a little bit before. They they have no problem with us using these as, as short-term rentals um, because you know when we're not there, which we're not all the time, it's a second home, right? It's a vacation home. But when we're not there, being able to use them as an investment. So that's great to hear that we could still do that in the middle of a 1031 exchange. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we were talking about earlier is how the kind of the lanes kind of get crossed. So, yeah, it would have been great to have Mike uh, Pine on here to ask him some questions about, you know, tax preparation and how that's filed, how the income is uh, documented. Uh, but, yeah, you'll I, I get on a regular basis where people kind of cross the information around the IRS restrictions on personal use uh, with the mortgage product. And they're really, they're separate lanes. Yeah. So uh, you hear, hear it all the time. It's very common. Right, right. Yeah. And where, where somebody's giving you advice based on some IRS tax rule that has nothing to do with lending guidelines and lending rules. You know, like you said, they're completely separate lanes. So. Yeah. Luann, can we go back? I was just thinking while we were talking, and when we when you said our original scenario of I, I have a house, I bought it for five hundred. Let's assume that I have a mortgage of of four, right, on that five hundred thousand dollars house. I have a mortgage of four. I bought it for five. I put a hundred thousand dollars down. I go I go to resell it at eight. Now, when you mentioned that that mortgage has to be considered of what we're going to be going back into the next house at. 
does it, can I still, I can still get that, is it requiring me to get a mortgage of 400 or more, or do, can I get a mortgage of whatever I want? It's just an overall, an overall purchase price. It's an overall debt replacement. So if you're going to buy two or three properties, you know, to meet that <coughs> reinvestment goal, you're obviously not going to need a $400,000 mortgage, but there's a lot of mis conception out there about debt replacement right um, yeah. yeah so the way that we teach it is you I mean the reinvestment goal is the amount of the note payoff plus the proceeds but it doesn't say that has to be in one property it doesn't say you have to take a mortgage out of the same but obviously if you're going to meet your reinvestment goal you have to replace the amount of debt you had because you don't have enough cash but right you can do that with outside cash you don't have to take a mortgage for that amount you just have to hit the reinvestment goal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So in that scenario, if we had $50,000 of, of fees, that reduces my reinvestment goal that I have to, to, to seven fifty. dollars So I have to go, I have to go and reinvest seven fifty dollars or more into my next purchase or purchases in this 1031 exchange. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Great. And it doesn't, but it doesn't have to do, I don't have to have, I can replace it with it, more cash if I want to. I don't have to have an, a, that mortgage on there. That just adds to my reinvestment goal. Correct. Awesome. And then if I don't meet that, if I come in at 650, then I'm paying the capital gains on that $100,000 that I wasn't able to, to get to that goal. Yes. And you still want to spend all the cash. If you can, you know, if you're going to buy down, uh -huh. you're, you have more cash than you need for the loan. You still want to dump that cash. Where, where would you dump it? Into the property? <laughs> on, the, on the lender. <laughs> Say yes. you're going to pay more than 20% down. What what would that do in that scenario? So if I it, so let's say in that same scenario, keep people kind of on track. I, I find another property at six fifty. My reinvestment goal was seven fifty. I have I have you know three hundred or what do I what I have three hundred fifty thousand dollars in cash, and I say okay, I'm going to put all three fifty in cash down, and I'll get a small mortgage for the rest of that. The 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 other two fifty or three hundred. What why would that matter if I was if I was short on that reinvestment goal to not to use that cash? Because you're gonna if you're short on the reinvestment goal and you have cash, they're gonna figure out a way to tax you on whichever is more the difference between what you spent and what you should have spent, or if you have a lot of cash left over, they're not gonna tax you on both, but they'll tax you on the amount of the cash that's there and whichever is greater because that's how you're going to get taxed. Okay. Yeah, it's, so, it's complicated. Yeah, that does get a little complicated. And so I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to have our listeners kind of follow us on that um, of where like strategically though, you know, like it's better to put in the cash, use your cash instead of keeping that cash because it typically will be, is it taxed at a different rate? Or no, is it, it's the same no, rate? capital gains, well, in Texas is 20, about 20% 20 mm -hmm. federal. Um, if you're buying in other states where there's state taxes, like California has a 13.3% state tax that gets loaded on top of that. Right. So that's a third of their gain that it's going to be subject to capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, the other 
unknown or that people don't think about is 25% on depreciation recapture. So the whole amount that you've depreciated the property that gets totaled back up. And then they, you also have to pay 25% of that back. Does the that, does the depreciation recapture ever factor into your reinvestment goal? No, but it does factor into whether or not somebody decides to do an exchange because even, and not so much in this market, but when I first started this eight and a half years ago, people would have property they'd held for a good long while and it really hadn't gone up in value that much. But because they depreciated it the full time they'd had it, they went ahead and did a 1031 exchange so they didn't have to pay that. The depreciation recapture. Oh, so they actually use the 1031 exchange to defer the re depreciation recapture. Interesting. I didn't know that that was, a, that, that was an option. So, okay, another scenario for you. So, <laughs> hopefully everybody's Jeff, following. you didn't warn me about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, well, this is interesting because with short-term rentals, um, there are... There are some loopholes that allow us to that really allow us to to take bonus depreciation on properties, where if we materially participate, all that stuff, and we won't get into all that on today's on today's episode. We talked about that my time, but <laughs> but the point is, some of us are taking my, myself included. I've got two properties this year that we're doing this on, and we'll we'll bonus depreciate it. We get a cost segregation done, and all of a sudden. You know, we'll depreciate three or four hundred thousand dollars on a eight nine hundred thousand dollar property. So we've got this huge depreciation that we accelerate and bonus depreciate year one. Now all of a sudden, if I go to sell that, I've got to recapture that, right? There, that's the so a lot of people don't like to do bonus depreciation because they're going to recapture that. But let's say I bought that property for a million dollars, I depreciated. $300,000. And then year, two years later, I decided to sell it, but that my property didn't go up in value. Can I do a 1031 exchange to roll that depreciation up in interesting? So it, that, that you, we can use the 1031 exchange as a, as a vehicle, not only for capital gains, but also for bonus to pre, or for depreciation uh, recapture. Correct. Interesting. Correct. That's, that's awesome. Um, do Always you, creative ways. Yeah, there is, and and this is, and I don't want people listening to this to be like overwhelmed or confused and say, hey, this, but this is to the point of just plan it out. Just you know, have really good experts on your team. Exactly. You know, talk to the. Don't try to figure this stuff out on your own, right? We don't need to know. You don't need to know all of the rules about ten thirty one exchanges. That's why Luann's here, right? We don't need to know all the rules on every mortgage product. That's why we have Jeff, right? Mike is our tax guy. So we, we've got these, we've got these experts that help us throughout this process. And really, in as we're talking through this scenario, you're going to tap into many experts along the way when we talk about these strategies, but they can be huge tax savings. They can be huge amounts of money over the long term that you're able to continue to reinvest, continue to get returns on, and, and ultimately grow your wealth much, much faster than always every time paying, you know, 20% to a third of it right off the top every time you get rid of a property. Exactly. Yeah, that's why we're so busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it just, uh, what comes to mind is better establishing your legacy in a uh, a strategic way, a smarter way, a way that's going to set up the future generations in a better way. 
Um, just real quickly, and one of the things that Sean mentioned about excess funds reminded me of a question that I get on a regular basis where uh, someone's thinking or kind of planning out their strategy, their, their plan, and the question comes up, if there's excess, excess funds, can they use those to uh, rehab or improve a, a property that they're purchasing? Not in a straight exchange. So straight exchange happens when you sell first and then you buy. So once you take title to the replacement property, the exchange cannot send any more money because the exchange cannot send money to a property you already own. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So yep. the way, a couple different ways to do that and rehab or improvement is really, really tricky. Um, you could do a hard money loan and do an escrow hold back. We, we, they changed the rules about six years ago. We used to be able to on conventional loans, XYZ contractor could show as a payee on the loan. So if you had somebody you trusted, then you would just set up that amount and that money could be sent from the exchange at closing. But then they did away with that. So with the hard money loans, what we don't know, because we don't have any case law, is can you do a total rehab and use the money for the escrow holdback? Because in theory, you're going to pay the contractors and then you're going to get paid back, right? So in the unlikely event of an audit, could the IRS try to say that that money is boot because you've taken control of it? It's, we, we just don't know. It's a really, really gray area. So I can touch on reverse exchanges if you want. It's a, a little yep. bit more of a complicated high level, but say you have, say you have a property that you want to purchase and you want to do rehab on, which you can't. I mean, you can't in a straight exchange. So what we as the intermediary can do is form an entity, it's called an EAT, Exchange Accommodator Title Holder, say in Texas, so it's an LLC. So we actually would take title to that property for you. It, there's a lease agreement, everything's leased back to you at closing, but we would borrow money from you, either cash from you or from you and a lender, and we would actually take title to that property. And then that triggers 180 days, therein lies the kicker too, for you to get all the work done because you're still under the timeline of the 1031 exchange. And we set up the construction draws in Denver and you know pay out the money as it's needed. But they're, they're no offense Jeff, but they're tricky with lenders and they're tricky because of the 180 days. Yeah. Because you have to have, I've got, one reverse going right now where they the lender was a private lender and they actually bought this property and they've been doing work their goal is to sell their land but we're on day like 140 right now and that they don't have a bite on their land so that property that they bought is going to be theirs regardless of of day 180 i mean at day 180 but they're expensive they're going to cost Oh, ballpark seven, eight thousand dollars to do. And we're ballpark nine hundred and fifty to eleven hundred dollars to do the straight exchange. So it really has to make sense. Right. 
Yeah. Or you have to have multiple properties you want to sell. So if you want to buy something big and then, you know, sell your multiple properties, then it, then it might make sense. Yeah. And, and you've met, you keep, um, you know, and talking about those two dates, the 45 days to identify the 180 days to close. There is no wiggle room on those days. So when you're in the middle of this, like people will ask us all the time, well, I'm going to see if I can get an extension. I'm going to see if I can ask for a couple more days. You're not going to get any more days. It's 45 180 period. So you have to really make sure that you've got your ducks in a row, get the right partners, have a good plan strategically of exactly what you're doing and know your, you know, what you're going to be doing. And then also know what your worst case scenario is. If you don't make those dates, because there's going to be no forgiveness, you're going to say, okay, you missed it. You're, you're paying tax on that property, right? On that, on that money. And you're not going to go do it. And they're going to ask, when do I get my money back if it doesn't work? Jeff, you asked a question about the G6 regulations. This is part of that. So if they don't identify a property by day 45, the money can be sent back on day 46. If they identify a property and then they buy it, say, on day 50, but they don't use all the cash, on day 51, the money can be sent back. The only way it has to be stuck in the exchange account for 180 days is if, say, you identified three properties and then on day 50, all of them fell through. In that scenario, the IRS views it that you've still got potential properties out there to buy. So in that scenario, we are not allowed to send the money back till day 180. Hmm. We put that in our exchange documents because it makes people crazy. We try to go over it and we make them initial it on the sale, yeah. but that's that's the only scenario scenario that we the money has to stay in until day one eighty. Awesome, yeah. That's you know that when you do this stuff, there's some very very specific guidelines of rules, which is why we we work with people like Luann when we do this. So, Luann, what um, are there any questions that I did not answer that you wish people would know? And then, as we're as we're thinking about that, also. Let's let everybody know how they can get a hold of you. I know you mentioned we've got a Facebook group that you've got that sounds like it's a great resource, but also if they're going to be running down this road, how can they reach out to you and get a hold of you? And we will put all this in the show notes, but why don't you let everybody know um, those, those couple things for us? Okay, that's great. So the Facebook group is called 1031 Exchange Assistance. And it's just strictly there for education and questions. Don't try to sell properties because I will delete you because yeah. um, there's plenty of other vehicles to do that. Um, and then my email is my name, Luann, L-U-A-N-N at E-R-G 1031.com. And phone number is 972-863-1031. Nice. Although if I ever call you back, it will be a different number because for some reason we couldn't figure out how to have that number call back. On the, on it'll the be a two, it'll, yeah, people think I'm trying to sell them something when I call them back and I'm not. Yeah. Awesome. And yes, so, there is a rule. There's a really important rule that we haven't talked about yet. Yes, let's hear. It's the taxpayer ID rule. Mm. So it's the rule on the taxpayer ID. So the way that it reads is that the taxpayer ID that holds title to the sale, so if, if it were your property, Sean, it'd be your social. So your social security number has to be the taxpayer ID when you purchase. 
And I get asked all the time, what about an LLC, setting up an LLC? And there is a way to set up an LLC that will play that game. It's called a single member disregarded entity, which you probably are very familiar with. But with it, when it's a disregarded entity, it will track back to your social security number. So it works with the exchange. If you sell with an LLC, depending on how it's set up, if it's a disregarded entity, then you could buy with your social or with that LLC. Okay. So if I have a property that is in the that is entitled in a single member LLC right now, I can and since it is a disregarded, I have the option on my purchase to use that entity or my social either or or a, or a new or a new me. one that tracks back to me. Yeah. Very yeah. yeah. Well, we get that we get that question all the time because one of the Fannie Mae rules is that you initially can't hold title in the name of an LLC, it has to be in your individual name. So yeah, that was definitely one of my questions and a question that I get all the time is, if I own my my long-term rental in the name of my LLC, am I gonna be able to use the 1031 to buy it and title it in my individual name to meet the loan requirements? Yeah. So that would be a, that would be a yes then, right? With, with, as long as it's a disregarded entity. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And all single member LLCs are disregarded entities, right? They're they're going to track back to the I always make sure they go back to their accountants to make sure that that's the way it was set get up. It set up right. Yeah. I'm not sure on that. Um yeah. I think they should go back to their accountant. The other question that comes up a lot is I was single when I bought this property. Now I want to sell and do an exchange. Can my spouse be on title with me going forward? And the answer is yes, as long as you file a joint tax return. Because then in the IRS's view, you are one and the same. How do trusts come in? Because there's a lot of people who own property and trusts. It's a taxpayer ID for the trust. And then that that same trust has to be the purchaser on there. So same, same rule. Yeah, and if it's an inheritance, sometimes the way trusts will be set up where you've got, I think we had one, we had like 14 different heirs. And the way that it was set up is all the money flowed to their own individual names through the trust. And then, and we did 14 exchanges because none of them wanted to buy anything together. (laughs) (laughs) They had the- Got a love family. (laughs) Yeah, they were giving the property together and they were like, hey, I want my own, right? (laughs) Yeah, give me ouch. Right. And if you do have an LLC, which isn't a single member disregarded entity, you can, it's called a drop and swap. You can deed, dissolve the LLC or deed a member out prior to closing, and then that member can go forward. The danger is, would the IRS say, you didn't hold it long enough in your own taxpayer ID to qualify for an exchange? But the argument back would be, but I've been getting K-1s in my own individual name. So that's a little bit, a little bit gray. Yeah, a little little gray there. Might not be a lot of case law there to you don't, you don't want to be the first one to decide, right? On the on There's a, a lot of this that's gray. Yeah. As as yeah. is normal with uh, anything that has to do with tax code and IRS stuff. We might exactly. might talks about that all the time with us. So, um awesome Jeff, what uh anything that from you that we that we didn't uh that you haven't on mind um for the You had a couple that we haven't touched Jeff, but I can't remember what they are. 
Well, I think those were the big ones. Um, okay. You know, really, my takeaways are education. Talk to you just as soon as possible. So everyone is clear on the path and the rules and the policies. And uh, yeah, so uh, this was great. Yeah, th- th- this is this really is good. Don't be afraid. Those of you that are listening that are like, man, this seems like a lot. It It is. But that's why Luann's around. Right. Th- that's why. Um, you, you and I got- learned from the ground up. I was a fake it till you make it. So I'm really good at explaining it to people. There is never a dumb question with me. Awesome. That's uh, and 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 just be able, you know, understand that it's a great vehicle that you shouldn't be that intimidated by. And but you're going to have to make sure that you plan it out, get educated, and follow the process that's put in place. And uh, if you do so, it can really be a great tool when you sell a property and you don't have that big tax bill for capital gains, and and that gets to be reinvested and continue to grow as you uh, as you continue to invest, and then. Like Luann's boss says, do it till you die. And all of a sudden the, the your your heirs are pretty happy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, for sure. Awesome, guys. Well, listen, we really appreciate you both joining us, Luann, Jeff. And then we will make sure those of you that are listening, whether you're listening on the podcast or on seeing this on YouTube, we'll have in the show notes all of Luann's contact information, how to join her Facebook group. And we'll also put Jeff's contact information in there as well. You know, you guys have heard Jeff a number of times. He's our preferred lender inside of our Bodicey group, helps a lot of our members get into this game with the financing side of life. So as always, Thank you guys for listening and being the best part of this show. And I always challenge you to do one thing you can do. Pick one thing to take action on today that you can do to build a life you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.